All right, here we go on a Thursday. Cody and Gold with you the next four hours. Alex Gold, Cody Tapp. We got JT filling in for Drew today. Uh, Drew a little under the weather. We'll see if he's back tomorrow. If you guys were listening to yesterday, towards the end of the show, you could tell it was uh, it was it was a good idea for Drew to, to stay home today. Hopefully, he feels better and is back with us tomorrow. If not, we'll, we'll talk to him next week. But we got JT. We were talking before the show. I don't think we've had now no longer intern, but at the time, uh, intern JT, uh, now part-timer JT, running our show, I, I think, since training camp. It's been a little bit, man. What's going on? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Me, me and you have seen each other with the betting show on Wednesday nights. Yeah. but I, I guess you came in for a Club 610 one time. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. But, but as far as running the show. Yeah, it's been, yeah. A, it's been a while since running the show. My parents were like, oh, my gosh, this is our <laughs> favorite. This is a good one because we can actually see you as well on the video cam. So there you go. It's, a, it's good to be back. Uh, I've been running Fesco. I mean, I've been all over the station. Yeah, it's, been, it's been fun. I love working here, so it's it's good to see you guys. I thought of you the other day when I had said on the air that I'm like, I'm assuming we'll be looking for summer interns again because yeah. both of last year's summer interns are still employed in the building. Well, we can also thank uh, Nick for that, too, for leaving and opening the that's, spot for us to work your show. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That allowed you guys some, some more experience. That, Thanks, that Nick. Is, that is for, for sure. quitting this show and giving <laughs> other people opportunity. So here's what we got planned today as we get closer and closer to divisional round weekend and the massive game on Sunday night out in Buffalo. So coming up at 11 o'clock, we'll check in with Dane and Hughes, former Chiefs wide receiver. He played in Buffalo in 1994. And as Kling told me when I brought that up earlier today, he's like, yeah, we're going to open that wound up a little bit. Sorry, Dane. And we are going to ask you about 94. So we'll get a wide receiver's perspective on playing in an AFC title game against the Buffalo Bills. We'll have Mina Kimes from ESPN joining us at noon to get a good national perspective. And then at 1230 today, our friend up in Buffalo from WGR, our sister station, Mike Shope, going to join us. What are they saying in Buffalo about this game? A game that I was on their show yesterday. I can tell you they are they are fired up. They feel like this is their this is they their chance. They finally got their shot. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll check in with Mike uh, coming up at twelve thirty. Uh, looking forward to that. But looking also at these two coaches, right? I mean, Andy Reid, Sean McDermott. Yeah, they both you know very familiar with each other. Andy was asked about Sean McDermott, like what do you remember about Sean McDermott? And I think his answer was pretty quick. It was like, well, he's a hard worker. You know, it was like a ten second answer, right? He's been asked about Sean McDermott multiple times. But there is a major discrepancy in coaching advantage in this game that, you know, it's one layer. It's not the first or second thing I think of for this game, but it's part of it, right? When you look this year and go back the last couple of years, moments when these teams have played or just moments with Sean McDermott and, and the discrepancy between the two, there's, I mean, the 13 second game is the first one that stands out and the mistake at the end of the game, timeout usage, the kickoff that allowed the chiefs to have that set up. Yeah, I think that when you start, I mean, yeah, just for starters, the 13 second and the bad defense that came with that. But I mean, losing to a team three times out of four in the playoffs when you are not out talented. I think that's what's important to note here. The Bills have not come in here with like less bullets to fire than the Chiefs in these matchups. They've had an elite level quarterback. They've at times had the better or more deep offensive talent across the board. They more often, now maybe this might be the first time that they face each other, that the Chiefs, this is the only time they can make the argument they have the better defense. I think they do. Every single other time, the Bills were coming in with the better defensive unit, and yet still, 75% of the time, and not even, it's 100% of the time, it's somebody else ended their season a different time, it was Cincinnati, 100% of the time they face the Chiefs in the playoffs in the last four years, they've gone home the loser. Now, they played at Arrowhead. 
That is part of the advantage, but I think coaching is part of it. I, I don't care if it's the 13 second game. I don't care if it's a uh, uh, two months ago when it came out that he had a weird speeches about nine 11 references and the terrorist being his, the team. You know, what's I, weird I about that know though. What I, happened there? Obviously the comment and all that was four years ago, but his team currently, and I guess what matters most, right? His team actually did seem to rally around like, supporting their guy They've won since then. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that happened that, that came out of what he said, you know, 40 years ago, right before the chiefs game, you know, three or four days before, and they haven't lost a game. Correct. Since. So nope. undefeated. So it, I don't know if that matters as much from the outside, obviously, like what the hell are you thinking? Right. We, we talked about that day. Like, I think what it just speaks to thinking, the broader but, point of sometimes he's not thinking on the field. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the bigger problems, what can impact a game truly are, you know, the 12 men on the field penalty against the Broncos on that, that yeah. field goal try that led to the other attempt that they got and bailed out the, the Denver Broncos. Those are the mistakes. And look, Andy Reid, there are moments where, Hey, we're, we're, we're critical of, Hey, are you too conservative? Are you, you know, why didn't you go for this fourth down or why didn't you challenge this? But some of the stuff that has happened over the last couple of years with Sean McDermott have been stuff that like you just can't have happen in the NFL. Like we said, 12 men on the field. What do you do on the 13 second game in terms of not utilizing timeouts or, you know, you, you should just squib the ball, right? They just said they kicked it deep, you know, st- think, things like that. Or protecting Josh Allen from himself. That's part of his job is occasionally you can't put Josh Allen in a position to let a team back in the game, which he's done multiple times in both these playoff games and regular season games where Sean McDermott doesn't call the game in a way that his talent possesses. They're like, ah, just do your thing, Josh. And that sometimes can lead to these bigger problems. This is the biggest difference between, I think there's a bigger difference between Andy Reid and Sean McDermott from quality of coach than Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in quality of quarterback than, uh, you know, Stephon Diggs to Travis Kelsey as number one weapon, whatever. So, yeah, I agree with you. The gap is is larger now. As big as coaching is and it's massive, I still think, like, what you said there, Mahomes and Allen, like the gap is smaller. That's ultimately what matters more, right? I mean, deep down, coaching, deep, deep sure. down, like quarterback play. There's a list of pecking order. Obviously, quarterback is the most important here, and then and then coaching is very quickly after. It got me thinking too. We're, we're comparing these two guys. Look at the rest of the divisional round weekend, and we'll have a chance tomorrow to talk more about each game and the storylines. But for Michael Ryan's complete unknown. If, if I were to ask you, I guess what the six coaches. How would you rank that out right now? Nine one three five eight six seven six ten one through six because uh, seven you mean? Or se- yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, number one, Andy. Yes. Number two, Kyle Shanahan or Harbaugh? Because it's one of those two for two, right? Shanahan for me. Okay, so Shanahan too. I, yeah, I think that's probably fair. Harbaugh would be three. It's weird because Harbaugh's got the ring. Shanahan doesn't. He does. So. That ring was a decade ago. I got you. I mean, I think. Who you were a coach 10 years ago is not who I think of you as a coach now. I, I still think Harbaugh is very good. The, the argument for Harbaugh would be me is like, I have seen him adapt multiple times to Lamar Jackson and yeah. now be willing to go and find another new offensive mind in Todd Munkin this year from Georgia. And they're having great success. Like, so either way, two, I've also seen Kyle Shanahan take three different quarterbacks to the NFC yeah, title game. So like, I mean, they're both great. Yeah. yeah. So they're both good. One, those yeah. are one through three, one, two, three. And then after that, like, Four is interesting because I'm thinking, okay, um, Dan Campbell hasn't done much yet, but man, he looks awfully impressive. The question is whether or not you're, to me, thinking Matt LaFleur is already there. And I, that's probably my answer for is Matt LaFleur. Because to, to your point about quarterbacks, look what he's doing with Jordan Love and all these young wide receivers in his offensive scheme. They lose Aaron Rodgers, yeah. and now look what they're doing. I think LaFleur is four, and then five probably is uh, Dan Campbell. Six would be Sean McDermott for me. And I, some people disagree with that. They're like, how are you putting Sean McDermott that low? And he's then, only and made it one. He hasn't even made it to a Super Bowl. You can't say that about Shanahan or the other. And then Todd Bowles is last.
Yeah. Okay. Fine. We can give Todd Bowles last because he was almost fired. Although he's definitely saved his job. Now. Oh, good for him. I mean, he's uh, he's done a great job this year. I just you know. and he's won no argument. Bowles is last. No argument. I don't think I disagree with you. There's a chance I would put Campbell and Lafleur both above McDermott. I understand that they also haven't made title games, and that Sean McDermott, to his credit, has gotten that team a lot of. This is where McDermott deserves some credit. He has gotten that team a lot of division wins, and he's gotten that team in the postseason. The problem is, is that those slight problems that he has when it comes to the big game moments, that doesn't just apply to the players. You have to be a coach in the right moment. You have to have the right game plan going into these things. And he might just be a classic overthinker or even worse, just a bad thinker or decision maker in the key moments. But I can't ignore the fact for him as a coach that he has rolled into the postseason for four consecutive years with a top five offense and a top five defense and has a single AFC title game to show for it. He has more early exits than he has title game appearances to show for it. Yeah, I, so with, we didn't even mention yet D'Amico Ryan. Where, oh, yeah, sorry. Where, uh, he's you, probably, he's just an unknown. So, I mean, I, well, I, ahead, I I already put him ahead of Todd Bowles. Absolutely. I put him ahead of Todd I Bowles. I know that. Some people may think that's unfair. I, he'd be ahead of Todd Bowles. I'm but not I can't putting, put him ahead of anyone else because I don't know yet. But is, what's there between, in fairness, to the Campbellsters? Yeah, what's what's the difference uh, there? He's coached for two years. I, I You know, I don't have a massive difference in it. I don't. I don't have a massive difference for it. If you wanted to put him ahead, I couldn't make a, a lot. I couldn't make a strong argument one way or the other. Lafleur's yeah. only been coaching a couple of years too. The difference is, is we saw him take Jordan Love seemingly and immediately make him impactful. And he, and not that. I mean, I think there's a chance that, a year not from that now. D'Amico Ryan's hasn't done that with C.J. Stroud. I think in in about a year though, we're we're probably saying D'Amico Ryan is. I mean, he. You can make a case he should be coach of the year. The problem is the voting happened before the playoffs, so yeah. Kevin Stefanski might end up getting that. But, yeah, there's an unproven element. I, I think you, it's, it's Campbell and D'Amico Ryan. They really haven't done much different than and each other. They both, they both won the division. Yeah, and LaFleur. They're all just kind of like in the middle. Like, LaFleur didn't even win the division. Technically, that's Campbell's edge over him. So, I mean, they're a part of the wash. There's three high-caliber coaches. Guys you know, guys who have been there, guys who have won a lot in this league and have won in a lot of different circumstances. Those are Andy, Shanahan, yeah. and Harbaugh. I mean, the other five guys won. we've mentioned, the only guy with yeah. experience is Todd Bowles, and we don't like him at all. Yeah, but LaFleur has been there for, what, three or four years in, in, in Green Bay. He, remember, he went 13-3 and three his first year. Now, he had Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah. But they, they, That's right. 13-3, and three, I, I didn't double-check, but I'm guessing that won them division. Uh, so Probably. They were, so they were 13-3. And, and then they didn't even get to the title they, game, right? They, yeah, they lost know, in the divisional round? Is that right? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. They did. Uh, and so, yeah, they lost to the Seahawks, it looks like. and They beat the Seahawks, and then they lost to the Niners 37-20. Yeah, that was the year the, the Niners went to the Super Bowl and played the Chiefs, right? Yep. Which, I mean, again, you lost to the team who went to the Super Bowl. It's not an embarrassing thing. So, okay, fine. LaFleur is yeah. probably over Someone Campbell. says they're downgrading Kyle Shanahan because he's responsible for two of the biggest collapses. Now, he was an assistant in Super Bowl history. He was an assistant for the 28-3 game down in Atlanta do people still hold that one against him? I've told you how I view Shanahan. I think how people view Kyle Shanahan now. It's much like how people viewed Andy Reid prior to the Super Bowl win. Everybody knows ev- everybody coach. knows Kyle Shanahan's a terrific coach. Everybody knew Andy Reid was a terrific coach, but the one knock people still have is like, hey, can he win the big one? Andy won the big one. Now he's won two, and he's potentially on the verge of winning another. And now there's no question he's gonna. There will be a debate between him and Belichick for the greatest coach of all time when it's all said and done. But you know what? Shanahan's got the same problem Andy had too in addition to that where Shanahan's rolling into Super Bowls not with Tom Brady but with Donovan McNabb where he's running into Super Bowls not with Patrick Mahomes but with Jimmy Garoppolo I mean I I understand that he has partially to accept who his starting quarterback is 
But come on, man. He ran into an NFC title game last year with Brock Purdy, who eventually got hurt, and he was down to even below that. He took a seventh-round rookie as his third quarterback in a single year and still managed to get to an NFC title game. And he took Jimmy G, a quarterback I have no respect for, to the Super Bowl. I, and then he ran into the better quarterback. Like, that's just the reality of it. He ran into Jalen Hurts, who's better than his guy, and he ran into Patrick Mahomes, better than his guy. Look, at some point, if you get 10 years down the road and he's still no showing in these big games, I think it's different. But I, view, I think your, your comparison is very good. Everyone knows Kyle Shanahan is a winner. Everyone knows he can take quarterbacks and offenses and do special things with it. He's just never had the guy at quarterback. That's a, you know, that's a difficult thing to find sometimes. We'll get back to the Chiefs and Bills in this weekend and specifically talk about Rasheed Rice and, and Travis Kelsey and this now one-two punch they have in the passing game coming up in 15 minutes. We know today's a big day in Jackson County once again. Uh, it, could, <sighs> I, I should say, it, it could be a big day if... Frank White decides to make it a big day, and that would be around the stadium conversation. That would be vetoing the motion uh, that was moved forward, what, a week ago, week and a half ago, whatever it was, uh, to move it to a ballot measure, or that stadium conversation, the three-eighths cent sales tax extension, move it to April. And Fesco yesterday sent out a tweet and mentioned that he was hearing that Frank White is expected to veto it. That had been out there a little bit. Like I said, uh, but, the second it got passed, remember, Manny Abarca said that on yeah. Twitter, like, the day it happened. And the thought had been, well, then the legislature can just override that. And that is still the thought. But listen to what Bob said yesterday. He was on with Carrington. And Bob is hearing that maybe all of a sudden they don't even have the votes to override it. And if he does veto it, I'm also told that there's not enough votes in the Jackson County legislature to override his veto, even though it passed eight to one. I'm told right now they only have five votes to keep it on the ballot, and they need six of the eight or six of the nine to override the veto of the of the county commissioner. And so I, I just I, if Frank White would come out with a logical plan and tell everybody exactly what he wants and exactly what the county needs, I think it would be a lot different than just going out there and saying, I want a better deal for the county. OK, what does that mean? We don't know because a better deal for you may not be a better deal for us. So if that actually is is fully what happened, you're talking about losing three votes between what happened a week and a half ago or whatever to today, if Frank White vetoed, then all of a sudden, they, then they don't have the votes to it. Then then all hell is breaking loose. Then you're all everything's back on county side options. If, in fact, Frank White vetoes it and they don't have the votes. Now, I, I, I talked to somebody that explained a little bit more of the procedural stuff. We were, on, we were wondering yesterday, like, what's the timeline? So... If it gets vetoed today, then Monday is when the override vote would take place. So even if they don't, as write that report from Bob, even if it, that is the case and they only have five votes, not enough to override it, I, there is still, I guess, a chance that between today and Monday, they get that one vote back because that's what it's, they would need. Can someone explain to me this? And I understand there's a lot of politics at play here, and Frank White might have had some conversations. How the hell did seconds after they approved this, one person on the legislator know that Frank White was going to veto it from the beginning is what he claimed. Well, look at his actions so far. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's no, no, probably that's not surprising. No, yeah. that, but at the same time, vote eight to one, but have no plan to override the veto. Why did you even vote? Why? Like what? You're not taking any kind of strong stance here. Why did you vote to approve it? Knowing Frank White would veto it. If you weren't planning on getting rid of that veto, why didn't you give him the extension? Why? 
like politics. And, but and Frank politics. White's a player. I'm, I'm done. Like someone's it's like, politics. can we can we get him impeached? I'm looking up the recall <laughs> statute. Looks like we. How how long ago was he elected? Uh, Got to do it inside of six months on the recall. Sorry, fellas. I don't think we can get that thing done yet. Look, that. they. He has ruined his legacy in this city over this thing. Look, if it, if which if, is what? No, I think he has no matter what. I think the, well, the amount of standing in the way he has done is permanently going to change his opinion in the mind of fans. And that's the problem. What Bob had said has been my problem with Frank White and all these other things all along. Say what your problem is. Say what it is you're asking for so that somebody here can know. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he's tarnished his legacy. That, that damage is already done. It just is how, how much further does he want to go with it? That, that's where things are at now. He's already damaged it. I, I think it's the point, though. If he ends up vetoing it and they don't have... The votes. the votes in the Jackson County legislature to override it. And then you truly are the reason why the chiefs and or Royals could potentially truly leave Jackson County, or at least one of them leave Jackson County or heck the state of Missouri as well. You would be solely responsible. Then that's one of those where, yeah, Cody, I don't know if the Royals would be petty enough to do this, but that, that statue just accidentally fell off the back of the truck when it was moving to the new stadium. Okay. That's what, that's what would need to happen at that point in time. Sorry. Statue broke on that, that you, you, uh, that you haul. We had everything hauled in moving to Kansas. Oops. Our apologies. Whoops. Lost in transit. We'll get it report eventually. Don't you worry. Um, I just, I know these stadium views always get ugly. So I try to remember that sometimes gold when we're having these things that it's never easy because they're big, complicated things. And they've gotten more complicated over time because there's been less willingness from public people to pay for private things like stadiums for these companies. But you're right. If this falls through, then the chiefs will really start taking meetings with Kansas. They will very seriously entertain what it looks like to be on that side of the state line. I don't know where the Royals go from here. I don't know what their next play would be other than reopening a conversation they said was dead with Clay County or themselves looking at the Kansas side of the state line, which has never been part of their plan really ever. That's never been their stated plan. That's never been their stated goal. That's never been their vision for the ballpark yeah. village. Like this is their play. This is their option. If they want to get on the April ballot and this thing can't, because I'll tell you right now, if it has to get pushed to the August ballot, if the Royals were even willing to do that, which they don't seem to, Frank White's going to drag his feet on this thing again. They've had seven deadlines they've blown through. Yep. Like, what do you think he's going to, like, just start agreeing yeah. now? Yeah, it's, no. it's look, we've we've talked plenty over the last couple of years about stadium projects and the financing element all of, of all of it and, you know, the the, the public aspect of, of who's paying for it and who should be paying for it, all that. Again, reminder, Frank White currently is preventing – those of you that reside in Jackson County from even being able to voice your opinion. You don't get to decide. And decide yourselves. Yeah. Like, we can agree or disagree on whether or not sure. it, should be paid, it, like it, it should be paid for by the owners solely and all that. Wait, that. That's fine. People disagree on it. Fine. But reminder, you have one individual that is preventing you from even having the ability right now, if in fact he does veto it and it can't get overridden, he's preventing you from actually going to the ballot box in April, and for you, the public, to decide. That's why this is absolutely absurd to me. Like, go vote no, go vote yes, do what you got to do in April. But you can't even get to that point because of one individual who happens to be the Jackson County executive and happens to be a Royals Hall of Famer in Frank White. So we expect at some point today to find out that he's vetoed it or not. That's Most the expectation. Yeah, that's it. the expectation. And then the expectation, based on what you've talked about, is that 
Monday would be when we'd find out if they're going to override. That's the current schedule. Tuesday, by the way, is the deadline to get on the April ballot. So there's no way we won't find out by then. Hell, maybe on Monday we'll be talking about a Chiefs win (laughs) over the Bills and the Royals or Chiefs maybe have some stadium things working. It it could be that. I mean, reminder that, you know, for those that will point, well, the Royal, the Chiefs said they were going to do this. That joint statement from both the Royals and Chiefs that said they were committed to Jackson County. Very important. It said if (laughs) the three eighth cent sales tax extension is passed. And I believe it even mentioned April. And I could be, I have to go double check on that. So I, it did. So they their commitment to Jackson County is only if the three eighth cent sales tax happens, and potentially that vote may not happen in April if this is how this goes goes over the next uh, three, four, five days. So it's a mess, man. All hell could break loose if this thing doesn't. And, and you're right. Then the flirtation maybe becomes more than flirtation uh, with with other municipalities mm-hmm. uh, going forward. And yeah, if you're if you're Kansas, at that point, I think you do make the phone call. Yeah, why wouldn't you? And if you're Clay County, you pick the like phone I, back up. I think like, the Royals, hey, you know, baseball. I think baseball in Kansas City uh, belongs in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. The Chiefs, is a, di- the Chiefs is a different. Goes. The Chiefs is a different story. I, I could see it working in Kansas City, Kansas, out by the Legends or whatever. Baseball, I, I think downtown is where it needs to be, and that's why this, like you said, where do the Royals go from here? If that, because that, that to me is still their best avenue. And we can't even get to the part where the city is, you know, heavily involved yet. And this is Jackson County solely is holding this thing up right now. Text line from the 913. Hey, guys, if Frank White vetoes this, I do have a Frank White mini (laughs) statue. I would like to donate to this year's garage sale. Should we have at that point where we offer it up, you can bid and you can come in studio and smash it. Will that be the. Yeah. Will that be the. The the bid. The bid to buy it is you can do whatever you want with it. But we are offering you a, a chance during the show to come in and smash it to pieces. <sighs> I just like you said, it, it, some of it just doesn't make sense because it feels like one you, man. It's, it's one thing for one any politician. It's up. one thing for any politician, whether we're talking about a stadium issue or anything, sports wagering, whatever. Right. It's one thing for any politician to say, you know what? I am trying to get the best deal for my constituents. Nobody faults you for that. That's not sure. the complaint. That is never that has never been the complaint. You should try to get the best deal for That's your, your that, that is exactly you're supposed to represent. Those that voted for you and those that did not vote for you, by the way. But in this case, you're not even saying why you believe it's not a good deal or, hey, if it's true, Fesco was reporting that, you know, he wants $25 million a year from each team to the county. Okay. That's like on the, on the surface, that sounds like, okay, great. But why? Why do you need that? Why? Where's that money going? So far, not a soul. Not a soul has been able to Or why you need five times the why. amount you had before. You can't just walk into your job. Let's just say you make $100,000. You can't just walk in your job and be like, hey, I'd like $500,000 a year now. And they're like, hey, just real quick, mm-hmm. why do you think you deserve that $500,000? And you're like, not important. Gimme. You're like, that's not how negotiations work. Where's the cash going? Why do you need the cash in addition to what you were getting before? And like you said. And he won't talk to anybody. Like, I'm not like. No, he, he's done nothing he, publicly. He's, he's done, been very quiet about it. Hasn't done a single interview that I know of with any, I mean, with anybody. Period. Radio, TV, the star. Hadn't done an interview with anybody. It's, it's just been bizarre. And so you do let everybody else set the narrative. And it becomes more and more likely for most people to see, like, okay, a lot of this stuff that's being said must be true. If you're not, I mean, you're not even willing to come out and, and dispute a lot of it, other than, well, I'm just trying to make the best deal. I'm, you know, and what was he just a, occasionally sends out like a page long thing on Twitter, and then that's it. He sends out one statement uh, once a month, and then that's the last we hear from Frank. Does that sound about right to you? Uh, I. I mean, everything is off the everything is on the table. I should say, if this thing gets vetoed and then they don't have the votes Monday, I mean, everything's on the table. I don't know what happens from there. 
everything is back open at that point. All right, cool. I guess you're just going to have to run for Jackson County Executive. I, I don't live in Jackson County. Do you have to live starting. in Jackson County to be the Jackson County Executive? I would executive? assume so, Cody. Yeah, Without I mean, looking, I would I would assume <laughs> so. That's part of the rules. I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? God, I lived in Jackson County for so long. Yeah. I could have almost done this. Yeah, you, mean, know? you can't run for governor in, of Missouri mm. and live in Kansas. Kind of wouldn't work. Not great. Although. You used to live in Jackson County. For my whole life. Like, my entire life until the last three years was spent in Jackson County. But now I'm in Clay, so I can't run for it. Sorry. I can't. I haven't even run for school board yet. I can't be jumping up to Jackson County Executive. I got to work my way up the system before I, I mean, can get to all, that. I mean, in all fairness, and all jokes. I mean, in all fairness, uh, you know, before that, I think you were just you know a baseball player and became the executive. Yeah, that's fair, right? And I think all. I think all qualify. We, we've learned more and more that it really doesn't really matter if you want. If you want to run, Cody, you can win. If you want to run. Doesn't really, you know, you got Would you chance. guys vote for me? Text line 913-586-7610. If I get back to Jackson County. Yeah. Someone says they're about to buy a house in Jackson County. Uh, they can be the show sponsor candidate. On bad news for you from the 816. Unfortunately, I don't know if you can afford the property taxes at this point in Jackson County. That's the, that's the problem. <laughs> and who might be responsible for that? Huh? I just I can't think of that person's name as well. Uh, coming up next, so let's get back to the Chiefs and continue our NFL playoff coverage. Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey. An interesting question we have regarding both in Sunday night against Buffalo. Coming up in 30 minutes, we'll check in with former Chiefs wide receiver Dayton Hughes. We were taking a look at that 94 game a little bit. His teammate, Keith Cash, led the Chiefs in receiving that day all the way back in 1994. So looking forward to checking in with Dane and Hughes, who, of course, will be part of the broadcast Sunday night on the Chiefs Radio Network, 106.5 The Wolf here locally. You'll hear Dane and along with Mitch Holtis, Dan Israel, and, of course, Josh Klingler down on the sidelines at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo, where uh, it could be wind chill like three degrees or whatever. But again, that's, that's like 30 degrees warmer. Should be fine. Still going to be a pretty cold should, should football be, game. Should but be yeah, fine, man. You're right. We'll ask Danon about that. Thinking of Danon, who's a former receiver, let's talk about the receivers in this game for the Chiefs in particular. You asked me a question about Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey based on what they both have done. Well, I went back to the Buffalo game and started to realize the production from both players. And you and I both said that Travis Kelsey had, had ended the season kind of slow, but we expected big things to happen in the postseason. Both had nice games. 200 yards between the two of them. 130 for Rice, 70 or almost 80 for Travis Kelsey. But when I go back through and see what they've both done, I think it's a fair question to ask, which is why I'm opening up to this. You, the text line, 913-586-7610. Is Rasheed Rice now more important to this offense than Travis Kelsey? Is he the more dynamic playmaker inside this offense? There's a couple of ways to ask it. Because I think if I say more important, the answer is no. Right. I've watched enough film breakdowns to see why Travis Kelsey makes everyone's life so much easier, especially Rasheed Rice's. Hell, Travis Kelsey's the whole reason why Rasheed Rice is wide open on that touchdown Absolutely. he got in the previous game and the way that he runs the route. Dynamic, though, when we're talking about dynamic playmaker inside the offense, it has been Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, I thought, tied for first, essentially, for three or four years where both of those guys were doing as important big play things inside the offense that just looked different. From an explosive play perspective, or just the like, hey, who's going to rack up the yards now? Rice has definitely passed him there. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the the most important is Kelsey because of what you said. He he draws all this attention. It's clear. I mean, he, he draws all this attention. He opens things up, and you still know Travis Kelsey. If it wasn't for two drops or whatever, he would have had over 100 yards receiving against the Dolphins. Three drops. Yeah, three drops in the first yeah, half. Yeah, I mean, he would have had over 100 yards receiving against the Dolphins. And so, no, I mean, he Travis Kelsey is by far still outside of – uh, Patrick Mahomes, the most important piece of this entire offense. It's a credit to Rasheed Rice that, you know, we're sitting here talking in his rookie season going into the divisional round playoff game. We're talking about him being the second, if not third, most important player on this offense to distribute the ball to. You know, it's him and, and Kelsey and Pacheco. Um, but no, it, it is it is Travis Kelsey still is the most important player. Travis Kelsey just had 31% of the targets against the, the Dolphins. That was, believe it or not, his highest target share since week seven. I know. And that goes back to the whole conversation we had a week ago about being fresh and healthy, even if you were frustrated by the drops. And I know Travis obviously was. 31% of the target share, that, that being the most in three months and two and a half months is telling. Now, Rasheed Rice, since, the la- since that game they played the Bills the first time, week 14, he has averaged 9.2 targets, which is like 27% of all targets in this offense. He's averaged 56 air yards, which is 29% per game. So it, the, these two guys, it's interesting. We, we've seen the, the uptick sure. for, for Rice, and now we're coming off the game. We're talking about where Travis Kelsey just had his most targets since week seven. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is that Maybe this is a Tyreek and Travis in their heyday thing where Travis is the 1,100-yard receiver, Tyreek is the 1,400-yard receiver, and they both absolutely do work, and Travis Kelsey is just the more important cog, not the guy who gets the yards. Because you're right. It goes even further back than that, than the Buffalo game. Because since, like, the Raiders game... The first one, yeah. The first Raiders game in late November, 10 targets, 8 catches, 107. Then he was nine targets, eight catches, 64. Then seven for 72, nine for 91. And obviously, you know, he had eight for 30, five for 127. I mean, he has been 95-ish yards a game and good for a score two out of every three games across the board. He has become their second biggest weapon, and he's been that for a long time. But, like, he started to rival that of the production and importance of Travis Kelsey That says a lot about him. I don't think he's more important than Travis Kelsey, but to even rival it for it to even be a brief conversation to mention, to ask, to question what level Rasheed Rice means to this offense. I think that says a lot about how much they count on him in the postseason. Well, sure. When he, when Rasheed Rice went down for, you know, a minute or two, everybody was holding their breath last game. Now, fortunately it looks like he just bloodied up his knee a little bit and he's fine. Again, he fully practiced yesterday and it looks like they avoided anything serious maybe he tripped himself you know to a certain extent but landed on the hard concrete of the field uh but that for a brief second right you're holding your breath because both these guys are two pieces that clearly yeah you you cannot afford to have absent uh for any portion if this team is going to to win multiple games and continue winning in the postseason and that's why when we've talked all week about why this offense has been better it's because of the focused in focus in on Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco. I mean, there's no those are the three most important players outside of your quarterback. Uh, I would argue on this on, on this there's not just this offense, but you could argue on this team because your defense need has been incredible. But they're so good on defense that I I still think like you you it's cannot afford to lose Rice, Kelsey, or Pacheco. If you lose one of them, then they are screwed offensively. I'm sorry, they just are with how how narrow the margin is right now for this offense still to have their success. I do think what's really nice, and part of the reason you and I both came out of that Miami game being like, is that their most complete win of the season? Like across the board? Yes. Is guess what? 
Maybe for the first time all year, Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey were great together. A shocker, Gold, that the offense looked good for the first time in a long time. Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey were both good in the same game at the same time. They both looked like the fully formed version of themselves. Travis looked like old Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice looked like the best version of him that has taken up to this point in the season in order to match. And once you got those two guys together rolling at the same time, yeah, I understand the red zone stuff, but I mean, they were constantly threatening to score. They scored in the the, the high twenties anyway, which isn't common for them this year anyway, but they were a constant threat to score. They moved the ball at ease. They had big chunk yardage plays to me. They just seemed like they were willing to kick field goals down in the red zone because at one point it didn't look like Miami was going to really threaten from a scoring perspective at any point. And that'll be the thing against Buffalo, you know, the Chiefs held the Bills to 20 points, we know, in the loss that the Chiefs played in Week 14. Are you able to be as conservative in the red zone this go-round against Buffalo? Normally, I think the answer is no, automatically, because you're like, no, the Bills are capable of putting up 30-plus points. With your defense, are you still able to approach it that way? You can't settle for five field goals. Yeah. You're going to lose this game. But are, are, I don't think suddenly Andy's going to be ultra-aggressive in the red zone. Like, if there's a fourth and two... At, at the 15-yard line. I'm, I'm not sold that they're like, you know what? Like a lot of teams have done this year. We're going for it. I'm, I'm not sold they're not just sitting out Butker to get the points. No, but I do. I think that they, to a point, like I think if you've heard Patrick Holmes and stuff and Andy Reid talk about it, like there is a point where they just, maybe it's dangerous in the playoff time, especially against the Bills, the whole like settle for points thing. They love their defense so much, man. They really will just be like, eh, Butker field goals or wins. Like, I, there's never been a time. But this defense, it's more in that. play than it ever has been. Because I, you, you trust the defense to hold the bills back a little bit. But which coach, like we were talking coaching to start the show today, McDermott, Andy Reid, which one is willing, even early in the game, not when it's obvious you got to yeah. go for it, early in the game, which coach is actually more willing? Probably more likely you know, to be McDermott. If it's, I'll keep using it, fourth and two at, at the 15-yard line, which is like you kick a field goal, but you're all in it, it. You know, it's a tie game or it's nothing, nothing. Which coach is willing to say, you know what? Three points, but I, I know I think I need more. I'm with you. I'm guessing the answer is probably Sean McDermott more so. Also, let's keep an eye on kicking in this game anyway. I'm not talking about weather, but the holder for the Bills is their punter. And we know their punter, normally we're not talking punting going into a playoff game here, but Sam Martin, their punter, pulled up his hammy, clearly pulled his hammy. He did straight. finish punting in that game he did. somehow. He did, but they missed two kicks, the Bills did in that game. And you wonder, is their operation a little off? Last year, we were talking about that in Kansas City a lot heading into the postseason with Tommy Townsend and all that, you know, uh, that was part of the storyline. So that's something to keep in mind with the Bills. Are they willing to be more – do they trust their kicking setup as much as the Chiefs do? My guess is no. I also think that the Bills, because of the pressure we talked about in this game, should be the more aggressive team. You're more desperate. You're way more desperate than the Chiefs from across the board. Well, they got more pressure, but I think in-game, in a playoff must-win game, both coaches – like, they both should have that mindset – like the pressure is a different conversation than in game. Who feels like they like y- y- you have to go for I think there's a two different. That's two where different what's funny. Mahomes kind of talked about this a little bit uh, with the running game, like him and Josh. And he's like, I think Josh probably thinks the same way as I do, which is the reason why you might see me go out of bounds less in the postseason is not because I'm trying to fake someone out. It's just, I want every yard. Absolutely. This is the postseason. I need every single inch that is available to me during this time where I might normally go down. I might, jump into two guys in order to get the three extra yards to get the first down now because it's the postseason, and I'm going to make sure that I get this for my team because we're trying to win this thing. And I'm, you know, look, that's what makes Josh Allen an even bigger problem from the running perspective in the postseason. And he's already a giant issue because 
nobody runs like him in the NFL. He's like the Derrick Henry of quarterbacks. Where Derrick Henry, when you're running, you're like, I'm sorry, is he like 6'3", 250, and runs like a 4'3", and like has a 70-inch vertical? This is stupid. This is ridiculous. Josh Allen's the same at quarterback, where you're like, Wait, you're that big and tall and you're a good runner? Oh, I don't like that. Well, Andy's going to give you the, the, you know, the Bills fans are saying it was just a head fake, not a fake slide. That's been the, the story out of that run against the Steelers. There's a lot of controversy oh. around, did he fake the slide? Because we know in college football, you can't do it uh, after the Kenny, after Kenny Pickett yeah. did it with the Pittsburgh Panthers, and now he's with the Steelers. And it's tough to say for sure. That like, one looks more fake slide. Someone tried to put a montage together. I'm like, most of those are just jukes. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate the li- effort, but those are just jukes. It probably was more of a head fake than an actual fake slide, but that's the challenge. Like you said, A, if, a you're in a tough spot. What are you supposed to do if you're a defender? You know, you, know, you can't you're, you're get a personal down. foul if you, if you try to dive towards them. And then also, Josh Allen, not an easy guy to bring down. The one no. thing, now that we're talking about Allen real quick, and we can get into to coaching across the league, we saw the Bills do the tush-push. And Josh Allen has consistently, and obviously this stands out on tape, I'm sure the Chiefs are well aware of it, he always goes left. Like, he doesn't just go straight. He Like, every tush-push, maybe he goes right in this game. Like, every tush-push, if he's he left. he goes left. Like, he, 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 he goes around the left. He oh. doesn't go straight. But then there was also one where he basically went airborne and his teammates, like, carried him across. This is why the tush-push does need to be banned. If we're you don't gonna, think you should get to crowd you, surf like you, you're in a concert? You shouldn't be allowed to crowd surf and get the benefit of forward, like, and not stop forward progress. Because then what are we doing? Like, if you're telling me that I can go airborne and I can just carry you and crowd surf forward, then how is it? How can we have the tush push still be a legal play in the NFL? Your feet have to be on the ground. Like, you can't be credited forward progress if your feet aren't on the ground. Uh, I don't know, Travis Kelsey, right? Like, you know, you ride on a guy's back, you stand back up. Till your butt or your hand or well, till that's, the that's, elbow till something hits the ground, man. You're allowed to do it, but you you're not allowed. There is a, literally there is a rule though. You're not allowed to lift a player and, and drag them forward. So what's how's it? Well, how's that any different? I don't know. It's not totally different. I'll give you that. Crowd surfing does, but it's a it's different because yeah. someone's not just physically picking up somebody and running with them on their back like a piggyback. All I'm saying, right? watch the tush also, push. Also, that's a silly rule because like. In what way would that normally work in an NFL field where someone wouldn't just get absolutely clobbered? You put someone on your back and just run. I'm just curious. Carry to see, him like a fireman over your like, shoulder. Like if I'm Derek Nottie or whoever in the interior defensive line, I don't know, maybe you still can't stop it, but it's he goes left every single time. Like with Jalen Hurts, you just like, he got Jalen Hurts got face masked and, and stopped uh, when this this last game, but 99% of the time they were, it was working for them. But he just goes straight forward and you, you know, he goes, they go so low and all yeah. that. Josh Allen does he he doesn't get that low and he always just kind of like veers off to the left and goes behind the left guard. He doesn't go straight and he doesn't go right. It's probably just it's still too easy, man. Huh. Especially with him. I don't know why they wouldn't QB sneak. I borderline wonder if you could score a touchdown with Josh Allen if all you did was a design quarterback run from the 25 to the end zone. With his size, you need three and a half yards per carry. Are we sure? You sure you yeah. couldn't get that? Yeah, someone points out the running backs have jumped over the line of scrimmage of the goal line for decades. We're not, not talking about jumping. I'm saying, like, if you go back and watch this past week, yeah, it's he didn't just jump. That. He was carried in air, crowd surfing by yeah. his teammates, not just like jump. They were just like yeah, pushing yeah, him yeah, from behind, yeah, like yeah, Reggie no, Bush no, no, and Matt Leinart. Yeah. They were like physically hoisting him above <laughs> yeah. the defensive line. It was line. a weird play. Like, it, it was the yeah. only time I've seen it this year. It's just. But it was it a bizarre out. play. Yeah, it was a bizarre play. And you're right. He's like he didn't get hurt. Like, you, you normally, if you're like that, someone's coming up and just destroying you. Yeah, making you pay, I guess. That's why Jalen Hurts goes low. 
yeah. less likely to get low. Although I did see that quote from Jason Kelsey that said like every time he ran the tush push this year, he yelled like F my life every time. So oh. when he ran the tush push and he's just like getting clobbered at the bottom, he would yell F my life. Oh, because he's like, low. I mean, he's got all this <laughs> body weight on top of him from, from oh, everybody. Dude, it probably sucks. Yeah, it probably sucks. Hey, at least, you know, we talk about the Chiefs all the time. And it's fun to talk the playoff stuff because the Chiefs are consistently one of the Super Bowl winners and contenders. Last year's contender, Nick Sirianni, looks like his job is safe. Yeah, multiple reports say he was calling around him and Howie Roseman Looking to find new coordinators, which tells you, okay, they're, they're keeping Sirianni. It also means you're on the hot seat. The second you start hiring brand new coordinators because stuff ain't going great, that's usually a pretty good sign that they're forcing you to make some changes. Well, they have to, have to. But the biggest laughing stock yesterday was Mike McCarthy's back. And I thought about it for a minute, and I don't want to just be anti-Mike McCarthy guy because he's an easy target. He's been an easy, low-hanging fruit for a long time in the NFL. This is stupid of the Cowboys because this is – you have gotten identical results for three consecutive seasons with three identical personnel groups, same defense, same offense, same coach. You've won 12 games every year, and now you're just like, but this time, it'll be different. Yeah. That is a horrible strategy. It's tricky because we, we talked before the game, like, hey, the likelihood of him getting, getting fired, and I didn't think he would get fired then, but I said, hey, if he loses, like, and he gets his ass kicked, they probably fire him, which is what he did lose, and they and they were embarrassed. He still kept his job. And he still kept his job. You asked me yesterday if I thought both Sirianni and McCarthy were going to keep his job, and the longer it went on, I told you I thought yes, and it went on until Wednesday night. And apparently there was this meeting. I, I'm with you where it looks like McCarthy's back. Uh, Dan Quinn, if he doesn't get a head coaching gig, is back. Dak Prescott is going to end up being back. So it's like, yeah, what do you, you're, what is going to be different next year? Nothing. It'll be CeeDee Lamb and at the same, Pollard and Dak. At, and at the same time, I don't think Bill Belichick was the answer for that fit either. So it's like, okay, if they would have fired McCarthy, truly, like, who are they bringing, like, who are they bringing in? Ben Johnson. If you're Ben Johnson, are you working for Jerry Jones or a fresh start? I don't normally be like, oh, the commanders. We have to we have to understand the commanders are not the same team and organization they were all those years. Dan Snyder's out of there. They are actually going to be well run now. We think. Well, Most, it does, like they're going to be better run than they're they were. They're going to be before, well sure. run. It doesn't mean they're going to win a Super Bowl, but they're going to be well run. Like I, I believe that the Adams Peters individual they they hired from the, the Niners looks like the real deal as a GM. Doesn't mean they're like their process makes sense now. Before the process yeah. was a disaster. But it's still an unknown. Like, if you're Ben Johnson, yeah, you know working with Jerry Jones comes with a problem. But I also wouldn't call them a poorly run organization. They do plenty of winning. They have a good quarterback. They're consistently in the playoff hunt. If you're Ben Johnson, you might be like, well, that's a 12-win team. All I got to do is fix their playoff processes. And we might be a team that contends for an actual Super Bowl. They won their division. They were the two seed. They got a quarterback I know and trust. I can make that offense work. C.D. Lamb. I just don't know. Is a a first-time head coach, is Dallas with Jerry Jones the the stop you want first? Because of all the – you want about pressure. There's always head coaching pressure. Like, same thing in Philly. This is why it was tough for Nick Sirianni. Like, being a first-time head coach, dealing with on-the-field stuff, but also the media aspect of what it is when you're in Dallas or Philly – do I want like do I want that in my first job versus going somewhere else where maybe it's a you're truly can focus in on the football stuff more and not deal with some of the ridiculousness that gets spouted out because you're in a market that like might Philly. be the strongest reason to go to Washington. I and again I understand they got picks they got all these things I've seen a lot of teams with like picks in good circumstances and hired a GM that thought was real smart Chicago right a couple of years ago and it seemed like everything was kind of falling in place. If you don't get the quarterback right, yeah. none of this is going to matter. No, you're going to be out yeah. of the job anyway. Yeah, no, you have to. 
you you could be excited all you want. That's true about the hires, but it doesn't guarantee success. But all you can do is put people in place that you trust, you trust and believe can bring you success. And I think yeah. that is what the commanders are in position to do. Dallas, like next year, Mike McCarthy probably went 11 or 12 games again. And we'll have the same story heading into wild card weekend or divisional round weekend. And it'll be like, is this any different? Because I expect Dak and that offense to look good again next year. I think they need to bring in a different running back. Tony Pollard was disappointing. There's rumors that maybe Derrick Henry goes to Dallas. I actually think that makes sense. But that defense, Dan Quinn, if Dan Quinn's gone, as, as much as I, if I'm a Seattle fan, I don't want to hire him. If Dan Quinn's gone, then they got to hire a brand new defensive coordinator. And all of a sudden, is that defense as good as it was in the regular season? Like, there's no, there's no sure thing other than usually repeating itself uh, doesn't typically work out, right? Like, yeah, just, it's insanity. Hey, I know we're talking coaches, but uh, Josina Anderson uh, just uh, tweeted from CBS Sports NFL Insider. Okay. Barring a snagging no- negotiation, I'm expecting Bill Belichick to sign with the Atlanta Falcons before, oh. he, before he leaves. I okay. thought he wasn't supposed to have an interview until this weekend. Well, the sa- you saw this morning, though. Uh, the report was that he's interviewing for his second his second interview with Atlanta, and that's always a good sign. And then now to, to what JT's saying, if that's from Josina Anderson, that he's expected. Now, if you're going back for a second interview and you're Bill Belichick, you know, th- this go around, now. you're locking that thing up if you're the Falcons. You, you don't you don't let him walk out the building again. I know, like, interviewing process changed. I'm not doing a third interview. I'm Bill Belichick. Well, like, a second. Let's just like, a second. That's what I'm saying. I would never do a third. You can either hire me or not. I'm Bill yeah. Belichick. I'm still not doing this thing. I just imagine, like, some of the funny interview questions that any of us have had. Like, if you've ever worked for, like, a big corporation, be like, hey, tell us about a time you've overcome adversary, you know, adversity. And you're like, mm, oh, that's real awkward for this this organization. But sure, no problem. Real quick. <laughs> so there was, a su- there was this time. Super Bowl. Um, I don't know if you guys were – we were playing the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, we were we were up against it. We were down 28-3. to three, And um, – Things were looking bleak. You know, we came back and we won that Super Bowl. <laughs> like – um, no, I think Bill. Be- I mean, I think the I, large I, thing with Bill Belichick is what is your plan at quarterback, and how are you planning to adopting to the modern game? I don't need to know anything. And how much control do you want over the that's roster? That's the last part. That's the key. That's all I need to know. They have a general manager uh, in in Atlanta. If he remains, what's that relationship like? Who has final say? Is it Belichick or is it Fontenot or whatever is the GM in in Atlanta? But the fact that Belichick a day after, less than twenty four hours after, we find out that McCarthy's staying and Sirianni's staying. Now he goes in for a second interview. I don't think it's a coincidence. You think he was sitting I, around I think just he was waiting just to sure. see, just just to see. And now it seems like Atlanta might be his best fit. He the Chargers, just there's Cousins, no right? noise around Belichick and the Chargers anymore. It seems like Harbaugh is is the most likely scenario there. They should just give Kirk Cousins a three year deal and draft a quarterback. We I all mean, agree. I agree, but if I'm the Vikings, I'm also just keeping Kirk Cousins and signing him to a new deal. Like I, I think it's foolish for the Vikings to no, move they've on. Been flirting with him leaving I for. Know. I know. For seemingly the but, entire time he's been there. But yes, if he's available, I think it's you sign Kirk Cousins, or if you really believe in him, you trade with the Bears and you get Justin Fields. If you like, if you think that's the guy, because uh, I think Justin Fields could be really interesting in Atlanta with those weapons. But also, if you want to just have a guy that you know is going to no nonsense football dude, uh, and that's by the way, not that Justin Fields has problems off the field. I'm Kirk Cousins. You just know what you're getting, okay? Yeah. Uh, you, you know what you're getting from Kirk Cousins. Right There's away. no like with Justin Fields. There's still the highs and the lows, yeah. and you're not sure which in between you're going to get. With Kirk Cousins, you can I can tell you on the stat sheet right now the level of performance you're getting. Like like you said, it's yeah. there's no unknown in it. It doesn't mean Justin Fields couldn't be better than Kirk Cousins. He still has the potential to surpass him in that regard. But Kirk Cousins is you're getting the tenth best quarterback play every year without fail. You're not always, occasionally you might sneak into the 7th or 8th, and occasionally you might fall into 11th or 12th, but pretty much the 10th best quarterback. 
That's what you're getting every single year of Kirk Cousins. And then I would just take like Michael Pinnock Jr. at 20 and move on with my life. Like I would, I would plan on Kirk Cousins being my starter for a couple of years. I would develop a young yeah, starter in the first or second round, and then I go on. If I'm the head coach of the Falcons, if I'm Belichick, you're if, not and, and I'm signing Kirk. QB. Well, if I'm signing Kirk Cousins, I'm not drafting Michael Penix this year. Sure. Like you're trying to, like he's not. You know, you're in it for these, like yeah, two, yeah, like these three years. Like you, you Kirk Cousins can be your starter for three years. So I, I'm not drafting a quarterback this year from the Falcons if I'm signing Kirk Cousins. I'm drafting someone to help out my defense, or I'm signing another wide receiver to go with Pitts, Drake Lunt, just go all in, load up on that bad? offense. It makes no sense. It shouldn't be. But yeah, if I sign Cousins, I already got my running backs taken care of. I got Bijan. I got Drake London. I got Pitts. I might draft another wide receiver to go with it. And suddenly you're good to go. I don't know. That defense wasn't great. So maybe that's where they, where they uh, go. But if there's one thing I'm Belichick's real sure about, about Belichick can still do is Bill Belichick and coach some defense. So he'll go get it, go get himself a, a rookie edge rusher or somebody like that. And, and all of a sudden feel pretty good. He'll immediately go get his Patrick Chung. It'll get whatever Patriots been on his team. For, he'll, he'll sign Slater. To run a special teams unit, and he'll find one other guy on defense who's been there for the last five years that'll immediately be the guy who settles their defense in. All right, coming up next, we get right back to the Chiefs and Bills. Someone that played the Bills back in 1994, Dane Hughes, will be part of the broadcast. Get his perspective on that game, and what's it like when you start seeing these same teams every single year in the postseason? That's next year on Cody and Gold.